You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, that was poor. Good morning, everyone. There you go. Now now you know you're at least awake for the first five minutes. All right, now we'll see what happens as we move forward. Hey, folks, I just wanted to encourage you. This is our family Sunday. Every fifth Sunday, uh, and there's only four of those in a year, just so you all know. Um, we, we, we have an opportunity to worship with our kids all through the sermon and the whole service. So sorry, kids, you don't get Dwayne and Allie today. You got to get stuck with uh, this old bald-headed fella, all right? But I do believe this message is very relevant to, what, uh, uh, to our young people and what they're going through as well. We've been in this sermon series, uh, Faith with Doubt. And really trying to discover what the basis roots are for doubt. And remember, doubt has, uh, it comes in many forms and fashions. I said, I almost sound like uh, that big guy, Big Jim, didn't I? Any form or fashion there, right there. But, but it does. And, and if the first place it comes in is a muddled memory. And, and, and if you all remember, a muddled memory, we forget who God is, and we forget that he's the reasons that we have anything. I mean, even the breath that we're breathing right now is a gift from God, and we don't develop something that's called an attitude of gratitude. So if we continue to forget who God is, it's going to be real quickly that we'll start allowing questions and doubt to really fill our lives. The second week, we talked about the partial picture of God. When God, when we just let our own experiences and our own religion of the day kind of set the frame of who God is. Well, we have only a partial picture of who God is and his vastness and his glory and his, and his love for us. And if you remember, the, the one that we, I really enjoyed was the one talking about a faulty foundation. And that's the one where we try to build our faith on a church or a pastor or on our parents' faith or even our own feelings about situations. And the problem is that when we build our faith on that foundation, when troubles come and hardships come, that faith won't last because it's not ours. And we have a faulty foundation. We, we talked about Thomas. Remember when Thomas said, unless I can put my hands in where uh, his, the scars were at from uh, when Jesus was on the cross, I won't believe. Remember, Jesus appeared already to the disciples, except for Thomas. And he said, unless I see, I won't believe. And then Jesus appears to him, and he looks him in the face. And he says, and he sees the nail-pierced hands, and he sees the, the scars, and he says, my Lord and my God. But remember, the scriptures teach us that it is more blessed that we don't see, and yet we choose to believe. And then we talked about a confused commitment. And and in Joshua 24, the people of Joshua's day, as well as people of our day, have trouble keeping commitments. It's one of our greatest problems because it becomes a rich and fertile ground for spiritual doubt. Don't let the world confuse you. There are other options better than our God. That's what the world says. It says there's better options. And there's no other way to be a follower of Christ when you have a confused commitment. And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 8. And we're going to talk about another reason that people get filled with doubt. And it's a stalled growth, all right, is basically what we're talking about. And in Luke chapter 8, if you have your Bibles or on your phone app, and again, for those who are just visiting with us, Uh, Can you put the QR code up? Is that something you have the ability to do? Um, The sermon notes will be on this QR code. You just hold your phone up there. The kids, if you don't know how to do it, just ask a teenager. Uh, They'll show you exactly how to do this. 
But anyways, uh, it'll have sermon notes and different information about the church, but this will also help you follow along right where we're going this morning. But in Luke chapter 8, after the QR code's up there in just a, a, a moment, let me kind of set the background of what's going on here. If you remember Luke chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, Jesus is dealing with a lot of different things. Um, and so he shows that he has the ability uh, over, uh, in chapter 4, he's dealing with, the, he has the ability and the power over demons. Uh, in chapter 5 and 7, he showed that he had the power and the ability over disease. And then when we get to chapter 8, what we're talking about this morning, he shows that he has power and ability even over the environment and our elements around us. And not only that, and then he goes on a little bit farther in chapter 8, and he even shows and proves that he has power over death by raising the, the, the sick child back to life in the town of Nain. So what we're going to see here is in the midst of Jesus kind of showing and proving to all those who are listening to them that he is truly the Messiah. He is the one, the promised one the Jews have been looking for for generation upon generation. But notice what he says here in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 and 25. It says, one day Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they got out into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. You know, it feels like Tanya when we go to any trip more than five minutes, you know. Uh, you're in service today, so I get to talk about you. All right, uh, uh, so, but it, it's true. My wife, it doesn't matter if we're going to any place else. We barely make it to Walmart. She's not sleeping by the time we get to Walmart from her house. Is it true? Am I lying? I might need a place to sleep tonight, but I'm telling the truth. So anyways, it says a squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, uh, and they were in great danger. Have you ever been in a boat that's taken on water? Tony and I have <laughs> in the Gulf of Mexico on one of those uh, fishing trips that you go. And Tanya was real reluctant to go out there anyway. She goes, we're in Mexico. They'll take us out there and leave us for dead. And I'm like, they're not going to leave us for dead in the Gulf of Mexico. So we get about two miles out. You can barely see the, the land. And guess what happens? The engine stops and the guy goes, we're taking on water. Tanya looks at me and says, I'm going to kill you. So... You know, so if you've never been in a boat that's taken on water when you're two miles out <laughs> with your wife, who didn't want to go in the first place, that's worse than going to Walmart, I think. So, but anyways, you understand that they are in real danger. I think sometimes we read these stories and like, yeah, okay, it probably had a little bit of water. No, they're about ready to sink. Look at verse 24. The disciples went and woke him up saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up. Notice what he did. And rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and everything was calm. And then he asked the most important question. Listen to verse 25. Where is your faith? He has every right to ask him this question. You know why? Because they had literally been with Jesus for three years. And notice what's already taken place in Luke 4, 5, 6, and 7. He's showing the ability to have power over demons. He's showing the ability to have power even over death. He's showing them the ability that he can, he can do about anything that, that God himself can do because he is God. And so he shows them this, and then he asks a basic question. Where's your faith, he asked the disciples. And notice how they respond. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands, and even the winds and waters obey him. So his question is my question throughout the sermon this morning. It's like, where is your faith? I'm talking to the teenagers this morning as well because you're, you're questioning with this every day at school. 
Every day at school, people are looking at you when you say that I go to church and I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. They're looking at you to see where your faith is. And guess what? If you think it's only happening at school, they're looking at your parents when they go to work. And when we're doing our life lessons and through whatever we're doing, if it's going to the doctor or wherever, where's your faith? It must have been an incredible thing for these men to spend time with Jesus. Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't it have been awesome to see some of these things? I think so. Uh, They were with him. Uh, and even some of the most intimate times because they become friends of Jesus. You know, when you, who you hang out with is who you become. I got to really think about that from some of the people I've been hanging out with. Right, Boog? <laughs> so, uh, Boog uh, had a little setback yesterday. So, Boog and I have been winning at the golf course, and then he, he tried to leave me as a partner, and that's what he got. So, but anyways, you know, could you imagine what it would have been like just been hanging out with Jesus? Just to have breakfast with him. You know, or I'd be interested to see how he eats. <laughs> you know, is he left-handed? <laughs> you know, uh, what, how does he do things? I don't know if you all, we've been kind of referencing this um, mini-drama uh, that's, that's out called The Chosen. Anybody watched The Chosen? Anybody seen The Chosen yet? Okay, if you haven't, you can download the app, or you can go to Netflix and watch it, or you can wait in November, because we believe in it so much, we're going to actually have a sermon series through the life of Jesus with our church family and all the campuses. And we're going to show it. We're actually going to show the movie uh, as well. And, and I think for us, just so you all can start planning this, we're going to show it at the movie theater. So you all can come and watch it on Sunday evenings in the movie theater. So we're planning on that some time in November. But anyways, The Chosen is this mini drama series about the life of Jesus. And the more you watch it, the more intrigued I am by watching it. I, I'm a big fan because it really kind of shows the human connections, like visuals that I, when I read the scriptures and like, man, what would it have been like to watch the water get turned into wine? What would it have been like, you know, when he calmed <laughs> the seas? I, you know, the only one movie I really connected with when I think about the life of Christ was the passion for the Christ. And that still leaves a mental picture in my mind. No matter when I'm taking communion or when I'm thinking about the Lord, I think about that movie a lot. Does anybody else? Well, The Chosen allows us not maybe have such a graphic picture about what took place in the crucifixion. The Chosen kind of gives us the background to these stories when Jesus was with his disciples. And and I encourage you, uh, if you want to start watching it before we get to it, uh, but that's probably how we're going to go through that movie. And if you think about it, this story shows up here, and he's, he's asking his disciples. It's, it's a question that really rips at their heart because they should know better, that, that they have someone that's different than any other teacher, rabbi that they've ever experienced. And, and when they drop their nets or when they left their life to follow him, in the three years, they have been eyewitnesses to a lot of amazing things. So when Jesus asks them, where is your faith? The question is for the disciples, but it's also for us today. Now, these disciples were like you and me. They were flawed people (laughs) that have sin and have issues, all right? They were sometimes life lessons that he was teaching. They were sometimes slow to understand the miracles he was performing. They were just men, but they still had to learn. They were also chosen, the chosen twelve. They were the ones that Jesus said, I want you to come with me. And they all been privileged and witness of what Jesus had taught and done. And in fact, in Luke chapter 8, it's a little early, but they've been around long enough. They should have stronger faith. 
And the problem is they didn't really have much faith. The problem is they weren't using the faith that they already had. It's like going to the store with your kids. Can we all relate to this? And one of them finds something she likes, and she brings it over to you, and she says, I want this. Now, again, we're talking about the she's because the she's get away with more stuff with the D's, the dads, than anybody else. The boys, you know, they could ask for stuff, and you just tell them no, right? But when that precious little girl that looks like the younger version of their mother comes to you and says, Daddy, can I have this? Next thing you know, your wallet's gone, right? That's just the way life works. And you look down at their little faith and in, in their little face and you say this, honey, where's your money? <laughs> where's your money? Now, my daughter has a gift, all right? It's remarkable. She can get a birthday card that has some money in it. She can get a Christmas card that has money in it. And it might be 40 or 80 bucks, but she can, she can multiply that 40 or $80 like Jesus could take the little boy's lunch and multiply and fed 5,000 people. She has this ability. She said, oh, I've got that $40. Do you know how many times she can spend that $40? She can spend it over and over and over again. I mean, it could, that $40 can turn into three, three fifty dollars before you know it. And she'll still go back and say, oh, I got that $40. It's kind of like that when we're talking about here about faith and money with our children because they do the same thing. And I really just want to ask her one time, babe, where's your money? I mean, really, your money. And that's really kind of what Jesus is asking the disciples here. Guys, where's your faith? I mean, really, where's your faith? You see, just like money I give to my children uh, as well, God gives us faith. The Bible tells us that's what he does. In fact, Ephesians 2.8 says it this way, it is the gift of God. We don't conjure it up on our own. We have it only because God chose to give us faith. Let me take a little moment and share with you the, what we call the plan of salvation with the question is, when does God give us faith? According to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, here's where it says, consequently, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You see where faith starts? It starts by hearing the message and this message is heard through the word about Christ. So God gives us faith. Or I, should I say it this way, the potential for faith when we hear the gospel. You can't get faith without hearing the gospel. You don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be a person of faith. You come to understand who Jesus is, not by just by listening to a preacher, but you come and understand who he is by reading the Bible. The gospel can be rejected, just like you can reject a gift, you know? I, I know that seems rude, but, you know, little children are so brutally honest. I remember one Christmas, my little nephew opened up a gift, and he thought it was going to be something else, and it was from his grandparents. And he opened it up, and they were all excited about the gift that they got him. And he goes, what is this? <laughs> I think he was about seven or eight at the time. Everybody's like, oh, no. And just the look on his parents' face was great. I mean, I'm sitting there eating popcorn. I'm like, this is going to be great. He goes, what is this? This is not what I wanted. And he rejected the gift, all right? And I remember that was the topic of conversation for a couple of years. And I finally just uh, did it a couple of years later, you know, when they gave me 20 bucks and I thought it should have been 100. I should have, I did the same thing, just take the pressure off the kid. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just that kind of guy. But, but understand what I'm saying. We can reject gifts. We do it all the time. 
And when the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is like the UPS driver who delivers the package right to our doorstep to the hearer's heart. And then Jesus says here, listen to what the scripture says. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's Revelation 3.20. It's what the Bible says. Jesus isn't going to force himself on you. He says, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If anyone opens the door, what's it say? I'll come in. Now, he's not somebody that's going to be rude and just kick the door down. And I think sometimes that's how we think people come to faith, and it's not. Jesus just knocks. And, and if, he's, if you're like anything like me before I was a Christian, Jesus knocked at the most inappropriate times. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing was called sin, but I always felt when I was doing stuff that was against God, I always felt a presence around me saying, what are you doing? Anybody else relate to that? That's our Lord knocking. And he's not going to kick the door in. He's going to wait for you to open the door. The Holy Spirit using the gospel convicts the hearts of a sinner. And when this happens, you can slam the door shut like I did for many years. Reject faith, pushing the spirit out of the way like many do. Or you can open the door and let faith in. And when you let faith in, you are, in a sense, letting the Holy Spirit come on you and come in you and fill your heart with obedience by going ahead and getting baptized. That's what the Bible says. You, you, you hear the word of God, you develop faith, you repent of your sins, you confess Christ before others, and then you follow the plan that every other person who in the book of Acts became a Christian did the same thing, you get baptized. I'm going to say something. Janet's not here. She's watching this morning, so I'm waving to Janet right now. She sent me a text on Friday. She said, hey, Russ. Uh, she said, I'm not going to be at church on Sunday. But she says, I want before the summer closes down to get baptized in my pool. Can we make that happen? I said, certainly we can make that happen. And she said, make sure and invite the church. So it sounds like a pool party and a baptism all at the same time, all right? So I'm in. I don't know about you all. I'll bring some hot dogs. We should be good to go, all right? But she said, you know, I've been coming to church for a long time. And she said, I was sprinkled as a child. And she said, the boys were too. But she said, by reading the scriptures and understanding more, she says, I want to be immersed. Well, guess what? Guess who told her to do that? Wasn't me. It's not something I just came upon her and said, you know, you really need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. She came through faith and understanding. That's what the scriptures teach. All right? So I'm excited for her. And I'm excited that because, because that's a step of faith, just like it is when we take communion, just like it is when we give offerings, just like when it is when we go and serve out in the community. It's all a step of faith. And Acts chapter 2.38 says it this way, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we understand the plan and it had an order to it. Faith, repentance, baptism, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. If you open the door of the heart of the gospel, Jesus will become the recipient of your, of your gifts, and you start sharing faith with him. If you close the door, he'll just keep knocking. Does that make sense? All right, so to deal with that, we need to know where faith comes from. So we have 
this going on from the story of Luke. The disciples certainly have faith, but the problem is they're not using it. Have you ever received a gift you didn't use? I want to see the hands go up. What is it? Can you share without somebody offending anybody? Can anybody share without offending someone? Anybody get a gift that you never used? Do you, what, you got one? Okay, all right. That's awesome. I can tell mine. It goes back to wedding day. <laughs> How many of y'all got wedding presents you didn't use? How many of you got wedding presents you returned? <laughs> How many of you been to a wedding you hold on the gift receipt because you want to see if the wedding and the marriage is going to work? No, I'm just kidding. That's bad. All right. But I've done that. <laughs> all right. How many of you all have fancy flatware and fancy plates that you never use that you got on your wedding? How old are those things, Pat? He got them in the Navy. So, man, let's see. Those ships were made out of wood, weren't they? <laughs> Don is going to absolutely kill me today. All right. But, but you got, you got a, a gift that you've never used, right? Have you ever used the plates? You've used them once? Oh, wow, the fancy plates. Have I ever eaten on the fancy plates? I've seen them, but I don't know. If I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been that kind of friend to eat off the fancy plates. Well, we have some, all right? And they have moved and made the move with us. How many times have we moved, babe? 12 times, and they've still made it, right? Oh, no, so Tanya got rid of them one time. So, and see, that's how, how much I are. But I remember getting those, and I looked at them when we got them, like, we will never eat off these plates, right? And the reason I bring that to your attention is because I think that's what a lot of people do with faith. We get this gift we go back to the day that when we think it gave our life to Christ, and, and if we're not careful, we put it up on a shelf, and we only pull it out to use it when we need it, when times of crisis take place. Or maybe we pull it out on Sundays and dust it, dust, take the dust off and polish it up a little bit, and then we go right back to our week, and we put it back on the shelf again, just go through our motions. I think that's what we do sometimes with faith, that we just leave it at church or we leave it when we just feel like we need it. But here's the problem. It's easy for our faith to become like that because it's a valuable gift from God. And so often we put it on that shelf and it just sits there. We could use it to bring and press our friends, you know, so maybe I'll get a dinner fancy enough to eat the, the fancy. No, I'll be paper. Don says, no, not after the boat comment. Not. Yeah, the boat comment, the boat comment sunk me right there. Um, we we could do that and try to impress someone, or we take it down sometimes on Sundays. But do you know where your faith grows the most? I've already said it this morning. It's in times of crisis, in adversity, when you're forced to take it off the shelf and use it. And listen, faith is like a muscle; it has to be used in order to grow, right? I could bring up some of my people that work out right now. I got to tell you, great funny. We're walking into the football game on Friday, and Tanya's got a, like a tank top on, and she, she's getting out of the car, and she goes, look at that. And I said, what? She goes, I got a muscle right there. And I said, whoa, Tanya's getting guns, all right? And, and I was like, you know, she's been working out. She's been doing the right things. But it is true. Faith is like a muscle. If you don't use it, in order to go. Now, listen, I might not be in the best shape 
but I have faith, all right? So don't you all start trying to equate those two, all right? <laughs> so don't you start going there. My preacher don't have much faith. This has been my experience in life, and I think it is yours as well. If you let your faith sit around too long on that shelf, and when times become hard, I think you'll forget that you even have it, and you won't be using it. And in fact, I think that's where doubt comes in. And in fact, I think far too many Christians suffer from this condition called stalled growth. It's stalled growth because you're not taking it out and using your faith. And it's not because they don't have faith, but when the storms of life that come in and wreck their faith, it's not because they didn't have it, it's because they didn't use it for so long. Does that make sense? And so when life happens and stuff gets really uh, screwy and everything starts turning around sideways, they got a real, in a real sense, it's a wimpy faith. And wimpy faith can't get you through the storms of life. And I think that's about what Jesus is asking is where is your faith? He's not saying they didn't have it. He just says, where is it in this time of the storm? And again, what we're talking about is stalled growth. And let me try to give you three ways that you can try to deal with stalled growth. The fact is, the faith, their faith off the shelf, well, might bring them to church on Sunday, maybe. Or their faith might bring them uh, to a, a point where they can make a decision and say, oh, Lord, is this right? I hope I'm making the right decision. But let me talk to you about, about where you can grow our faith. And then the first point I want to say, you got to factor in the ability of God. To grow your faith in the time of storm, you got to factor in the ability of God. And as I mentioned earlier, even up to this point in the three-year ministry that Jesus and his disciples were, were with him, the disciples witnessed several amazing miraculous events that Jesus performed. I don't have time to go over each one, but again, chapter 4, power over demons. Chapter 5 and 6 and 7, he showed he had the power over all disease. Chapter 7, again, is when he went into the town of Nain and he raised the child from the death. Now remember, the disciple has witnessed all these things, and now we move into chapter 8. And even though Jesus had shown them what, how powerful he is, they still had doubt. But you know why they still had doubt? Because none of those things really happened to them. Can I say that again? <laughs> they witnessed the power over demons, but that didn't happen to them. They, they saw the power over disease, but they didn't have disease themselves. They saw the power to be able to raise the child from death, but that didn't really affect them. But now that the water's in their boat, <laughs> it's affecting them. And if we're honest, I think we can relate to the story because a lot of times we can talk about faith and we see it in other people or other people talk about how God brought them through a situation. But until it affects you, until it's at your doorstep, you're not really dealing with this issue. So they just couldn't bring the two ideas together. Isn't that surprising? But it happens to us too. On one hand, we have real life, and on the other hand, we have faith. Here's what real life is. Water's about to sink their boat. <laughs> so what are they more focused on at this moment, the disciples are? Their own hind ends, <laughs> saving their hind ends, right? That's exactly where we get to in life. That's real life. But how does faith and real life come together? 
And so when real life started to happen to them, it required their faith. It wasn't the way the disciples, they were sitting there, how do we get out of this situation? Jesus was more concerned about what during this situation? Their hot ends or their faith? Let me say that again. When real life happens and things are not going your way, what is God most concerned about? Your faith. He's concerned about how is your faith. Listen to me. Where is your faith? Whatever storm you're going through right now, I want you to know that God is able. He's more than able to fix it all with just a word as he calmed the storms. And in fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3.20, God has the ability to do immeasurably more than what we could ever imagine. But see, when we're going through the storm, we're worried about saving ourselves, <laughs> not looking to the one who can save and fix it all. What are your storms right now? I know if you're not in one, you're headed for one. There's the good news <laughs> this morning. <laughs> yeah, I went to church <laughs> this morning, and the preacher told me if I'm not in a storm, I'm headed towards one. Boy, thanks. I'm glad I got up for that, <laughs> right? There's the good news, because that's just life. So let me ask you, have you factored in the ability of God? Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Are you leaning on him? Are you counting on him? Or do you think you'll ever be able to get through this on your own? Or maybe you just want to see if God's big enough to handle it. Don't be silly. God is more than able. If you want to grow in your faith, embrace this truth. Don't panic when the storm comes, and don't be surprised when he calms the storm in front of you. See, don't panic. Trust God. And then the second thing I want you to be able to hear me, and this is a big one, because this might rock your mind today. Submit to the sovereignty of God. Now, let me talk about that. That's a big church. Sovereignty of God means he knows everything has power and dominion over all situations, okay? What that means is God is in all, through all, above all, he is all. Does that make sense to you? So he has all authority to do whatever. This is so important. Listen, as believers with faith, we must remember that God is not just able, but he's also in complete control. He is sovereign. But if you factor in his ability without understanding his sovereignty, you're going to have some issues. Let me repeat that. The factor in the ability without submitting to the sovereignty of God, you're not going to be able to stand in the time of storms. God will become kind of like a superhero, not in charge of things, but just showing up when he's available to demonstrate his power. But that's not the way it works. God is in control. Factoring in God's ability without submitting to his sovereignty creates grounds for doubt. Let me blow your mind for a second. You know, some of you might be in a storm right now. Some of you at home be in a storm. And for some of you, the winds are blowing pretty hard and the storm is getting probably the biggest that's ever been in your life. Did it ever occur to you that God could be the one who brought you into the storm? Now, this might affect and skew your view of God. Well, I thought God was for us, Russ. I didn't thought God didn't want anything bad to happen to us. I thought God would take care of us in all situations. Do you ever think that God might be bringing you to the storm? 
In fact, it's in the scripture of what we read this morning. Do you remember that Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake? Do you think Jesus didn't know what was going to happen to him on the water? You ever think about that? I know that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen in the time of that storm. And I want you to hear what J.C. Ryle says, the 18th century theologian. He said this, trials are intended to make us think. They are intended to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible and drive us to our knees. He goes on to say this, the harvest of the Lord's field is seldom ripened by sunshine only. It must go through the days of wind, rain, and storm. And in the sermon that he wrote on this passage in Luke chapter 8, he said this, the storms of winter bring out the, def the defects in a man's heart. The sickness exposes the gracelessness of a man's soul. Surely anything that makes us found out in the real character and allows faith to be is good. What he's saying here, a lot of words, that sometimes God allows situations to go on in our life to really see if we truly have faith. You understand that God never promises a storm-free life. What he promises is that he'll be there in the midst of the storm. Can I say that again? God never promises a storm-free life, but what he promises, that he'll be there in the midst of the storm. In fact, the apostle Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to remove whatever thorn was in his flesh. And it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, God is more interested in our holiness than our temporary happiness. Can I say that again? God is more interested in our holiness than our temporary happiness. There are times when our lives would be much easier if we weren't Christ followers, right? Because he is using the storms to shape us. He is jump-starting and growing our faith right in the midst of the storm. He never promised us a journey would be easy, but he does promise us we'll keep moving with him. We'll reach the destination. So in order to grow your faith, then you have to factor in his ability and submit to his sovereignty. And the best example of this, and the kids can relate to this, is Shadrach and Benny. Where are my VeggieTale friends? Got any VeggieTale friends in here? Remember Shadrach and Benny? All right, no one remembers the story. She does. All right, good. So you've seen Shadrach and Benny. But we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. Remember when the king becomes furious, they wouldn't bow down to his image. He threatened them, throw them into the fire. And you remember what they said? I'm going to paraphrase this. Go ahead, throw us into the fire. We don't care. The God we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. That's the difference between faith and positive thinking. Now, don't get me wrong. Positive thinking is important for us to start thinking of situations better and not getting so depressed. But here's the problem I have with a lot of the self-help sermons that are going on today. You know what they are doing? Just trying to get you to think positively. Biblical faith says in darkest, deepest times when the storms of our life that we have the ability because our God is sovereign. That's what faith is. It's not that we just have to think better. 
It's not like we just create things and situations to make ourselves better. It's not like we move to another state or a different location and all of a sudden things are going to get better. It doesn't mean that our job that we're in right now is so hard that we got to find another job so that somehow we can be better. It doesn't mean that the relationship that we're in right now is not working, so I'm going to find another one so I can be happier. What it means is we have faith in a God that he has the ability because he's sovereign. We have to be rooted in that kind of faith. And friends, if you think your faith is being tested right now, just hang on. Because in the end times, <laughs> it sounds like our faith is going to get really tested really fast. My understanding and what I've been reading, and again, you don't know how much true is on the internet, but can you think of the Christians that are in Afghanistan now? Their faith is going to be put to their life. And it is truly going to be a life and death matter for him if it already hasn't happened. You know, we can talk about having faith. But what happens? Like in Nazi Germany during the war, when Christians were meeting together and Hitler's army comes in and surrounds the church and comes into the front door and says, listen, unless you denounce Christ right now and your faith in God, we're going to slaughter you. And all that remains in this story was the pastor and a little old widow lady. They weren't moving. In a church of 50 people, they were the only two that were left. And these soldiers come in and said, sorry, preacher, we had to do that. And they put their guns down and said, because if they found out we were people of faith, they would kill us as well. And they had a worship service that day. You see, I don't know if it's going to be life and death issues for Christians. But the way you read the Bible, if it's in there, the way it says it, it sounds like it's going to be life and death issues for us. That's the difference. Are you, is your faith ready for the greatest trial of your life? And finally, I just want to finish with this. Trust in the goodness of God. That's, these, these people had to go back. Read Luke 8. I almost imagine that they woke Jesus up, they, he stretched his arms up in the air, and he went, maybe even yawned. And he says, where's your faith? And disciples looked at one another, and they slapped themselves over the head, and they said, oh, yeah, we're with you. You've got this. What were we thinking? And notice what the Scripture says. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Then I get this visual, and I haven't seen the chosen, but I see the disciples standing up and high-fiving each other, <laughs> fist bumping, chest bumping, whatever, whatever the disciples were doing in the boat. I'm sure there was a great sense of celebration. You, say, you see, the very reason they were able to factor in their fear is because they trusted in the ability of God. They submitted to his sovereignty, and because we know that God has a plan for them, they knew that they were going to get through this time of storm. They may not have the greatest faith in the moment, but once Jesus comes in and steps into the scene, then everything changes. And so Romans 8.28 reminds us of this. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That means in the, even in the midst of your worst trial and the worst thing that you could ever think of having in your life, God is working the good out. Because why? He's a good father. Whatever you're going through, whatever storm is being produced in, your, in this sinful fallen world, he's allowing us to go through this storm 
intentionally, and he's taking you through because on the other side of the storm is blessing. Now, I think this is an important thing to be said during our time of COVID. (laughs) I don't know how long COVID's going to last. I can tell you this about a virus. (laughs) All I have to do is go to school with kids, and they're sharing water bottles and drinks. We're going to be honest, vape pens, which they shouldn't be sharing. They're going to share all this stuff. And if it ain't COVID, there's going to be another disease that's going to go around the school, right? And some of us in the midst of this COVID season, you know, Karen put something on her Facebook page the other night, really got me stirred and said, how many relationships are we going to destroy when we look back past all this because we said something that was just out of frustration? And I think about this passage of scripture. This is a big storm that the whole world's going through right now. And whether you mask, vaccinate, at the end of the day, Jesus is through all of this. That's where I'm at, all right? And and what I'm trying to say is, if Jesus is through all of this, then he's through the people who vaccinated and didn't vaccinate. He's through the people who never will receive a vaccination. (laughs) I'm not just talking about in our country. I'm talking about in the world. He's over all these situations. And she said, how many relationships are we going to destroy? And, and I kind of took the dark side of, her, of this and said, sadly, whether it's COVID or anything else, it truly just shows what's inside of our hearts. Because you know what the Bible says? Out of the mouth speaketh. Sorry, go King James in some of my <laughs> quotes. Speaketh the heart. So what comes out of here is really what is in here. And when it comes to storms in your life, notice one thing I'm glad that it doesn't say the disciples did when the water started coming in. It didn't start saying they started cussing like sailors <laughs> and going, oh, blank, we're in trouble. It doesn't say that they just abandoned their faith and started jumping out of the boat and tried to swim the shore. But one thing, they may not have got credit for their faith, but they should get credit of where they turn to. Can I say that again? They may not get great credit from where they got their faith, but they knew exactly who to turn to. And that's what I think is important during all this COVID stuff and whatever the issues of the hot topics are of the day. We need to know who to turn to. And I think that's what the problem is in our culture. Our culture seems like it doesn't know who to turn to. We turn to ourselves, turn to our government, (laughs) turn to our political leaders, we turn to our family, our friends. It's amazing how many doctors are on the internet right now. Doesn't it fascinate you? And how many lawyers and how many government leaders are on the internet giving advice right now? I think they all slept at the Holiday Inn last night. So they all became experts. And I might be foolish standing here this morning saying this to you. I know who to turn to. It's Jesus. It's God the Father. And so many people in their times of storms and their times of trials and their times of stress. Tony Robbins ain't going to say Oprah ain't going to save me. 
But Jesus, who went to Calvary, not only can save me, he can save the entire world. Faith that can overcome hints of doubt and fear. So I ask you to follow this pattern. So begin to think with faith. Begin to pray with faith. Begin to speak with faith. Begin to serve with faith. And ultimately, begin to live with faith. That's the only hope that we have. That's the only hope our world has. I mean, because, can I be real honest? Even if we beat COVID, you don't think another flu, virus, calamity is not going to come again? I mean, things are going to keep coming. You might beat cancer this time. You might get over whatever trial is in front of you right now. But there's another one coming. They might get through this hurricane. There's another one coming. Who can save you? I can't save you. But Jesus can. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, some of these concepts in these stories I think we just read through and like oh yeah Jesus healed and cast out demons oh yeah Jesus healed those sick people oh Jesus calmed the storm he raised that child from the dead we read these stories and we just think that these stories are almost fairy tales but these are real people in real situations the disciples thought their life was going to end that very night in the time of storm. And so, Father, as we pray and as we contemplate what all we heard today, we know that you're able, we know that you're sovereign, and we know that you're good. So whatever we're going through right now, I'm going to ask something the disciples asked you. Give us more faith. Because the Bible says if we had faith as small as a mustard seed, we could move mountains. And God, what I see in our cultures, in our communities, in our homes, and people struggling right now so desperately is that they just need a little bit more faith. We need to learn how to live with the ugliness of the world, the storms of life, and be able to walk through them knowing that, God, you want us to grow in these times. I believe this with all my heart, Father, that this is a time for us either to put up or shut up when it comes to faith. In the days that are around us, the storms that seem to keep coming. This is the time for your church, your people, to show everyone what it looks like to walk in faith, to love people we disagree with, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to show
show them that we don't have all the answers, but we know who to turn to. God, help us to turn to you this morning. I pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand, let's worship. If there's something you need to let everyone know about a public decision that you've made, maybe it's the first time you've ever opened the door to faith. Maybe you've heard him knocking. You've slammed the door shut. Maybe you've sat there for a lot and maybe you've kind of just left a crack in your door open just a little bit. Maybe today it's time for him to let him come fully into your life. Do it by faith. Don't do it because I told you. Don't do it because I preached a sermon. Do it because you look and you read in God's word countless people who live by faith. You got time today? Read Hebrews chapter 11. That whole chapter is a list of all the people who live in the Old Testament. Not all of them, but it's like a heroes of faith. It's by faith they did these things. It's by faith that Noah started building the boat, even though it never rained. It was by faith that Abraham picked up his family and went to a foreign land. You want to know why? He didn't know where he was going. He did it by faith. So that's what I ask you this morning, is what are you doing by faith this morning? So as we stand and sing, won't you come? Thanks for listening to this week's message. To find out more, visit us online at gatewaychurch.net. See you next week.